Hey bosses, this week's sponsor is Indeed. Are you hiring? With Indeed, you can post a job in minutes, set up screener questions, then zero in on your shortlist of qualified candidates using an online dashboard. Get started today at Indeed.com slash iLab. That's Indeed.com slash I-L-A-B. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny F.D. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey, bosses. This is Johnny, and welcome to episode 137 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm out here in Welagama, Sri Lanka. And Sam, are you out in Barcelona? I'm not in Barcelona. You want to take a you want to take a guess? I can give you a hint, or you just want to guess straight off. Oh man, you know I, I never know where you are, but I'm gonna assume you're back in North Carolina. That's a good guess. I'm heading there soon, but I'll, I'll give you a hint. Okay, it's not quite Asia, and it's not quite Europe. Tbilisi, Georgia. Good guess. Here's a, here's another here's another hint. Only place that ties can visit near Asia without a visa. And it's not Georgia. Oh, I have no idea. Near Europe, I've never had a problem. Visa, I've never. People. I've never had that issue. Okay. So Fine. I have no idea. What is it? <laughs> you never flown your Thai girlfriend to, no. to near Europe? <laughs> I'm not. But I can see that I can see that being helpful for some people. All right. Last hand. Gobble gobble. Gobble gobble. Tur- turkey. I'm in Turkey. Oh my god. He's from Turkey. I don't know how to say hello in Turkey or I would've I would have done that one first. Yeah. That's yeah, so I'm funny. in a place called Bord Bordrum, Turkey. It's down on the med, basically faces Athens if you're looking at a map. Athens and yeah, kind of face each other over the the sea, uh, and it's cool, man. It's off season here. Everything is super cheap because it's off season. I'm staying in a hotel now that in the summer it'd probably be two fifty, three hundred a night, but now it's like seventy, and all the staff are are so happy and just pleasant because there's no tourists here. It's, it's like me and my girlfriend are the only ones at the resort, so it's pretty cool. You know what? That is actually a pretty good hack. And unfortunately, you know, she doesn't have a second passport because she, she she did. It would be much easier to meet, you know, in Barcelona or in Europe somewhere. But I guess there's always a workaround, right? Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Because this coronavirus is spreading pretty quick. But more than that, they're they're just starting to lock down travel for for anyone from the region. And if it gets worse, I might not be able to get out of Thailand, and I might not be able to go back to Thailand or even have the desire to do so. So I thought, get over here, and then from here we'll fly her to the states and. Um, that was the plan, but it's kind of a good excuse to come to meet her in Turkey because I've never explored this part of the world and I'm, I'm liking it a lot. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I've met a lot of people who've been to Turkey and most of them, I mean, there's a few people that said, you know, they love the hustle and bustle of it. They love uh, the capital city, but most people I've met love going there for the all-inclusive resorts or like the, the nice resorts, but they never actually leave it. They just go there <laughs> for the beach holiday and they're like... I don't want to see Istanbul. I don't want like, and, and it's, it's rude, but a lot of people go there and they just don't want, uh, they don't like the local culture. They just go there cause there's sun and there's beach and it's cheap. Well, I, I, I kind of have to agree. I mean, the hustle and bustle of Istanbul kind of burns you out. Just like most capital cities burn me out now, but there's plenty of culture down here in the South. It's just, you know, it's more laid back and, um, and enjoying the food, enjoying the sun, enjoying the people. People are really nice. So, well, the cool Put thing a check is mark on it, but I'll be back. Yeah, I mean, like hearing that it actually makes me happy because it just kind of reinforces me that even though I've been traveling so much, both of us have, there are still so many places that are not on the you know top five or top ten most traveled list. You know, Paris, uh, Amsterdam, kind of you know Australia, kind of places that most people think of when they think of vacation or traveling. That are places that you know we get a good value it's re- relatively less explored and less touristed and really the, the world is such a big place especially if we have the means as well as the visas to be able to go there that's true and i i, I tend to really like the locations that you choose johnny because they, they they fall into all those categories and have all those values that you just said and what I've noticed with, with myself is when I go from one of those places, say, Chiang Mai, that kind of checks all those boxes that you just mentioned, and then I go to a big city like Barcelona, I just seem like, wow, this is, this is kind of overwhelming. The hustle bustle, the constant noise, the, uh, the temptation, it's a lot. So I'm tending to, to think that I need to be gravitating much more to these kind of 
you know, softer spots around the world that are really good value because it just it seems to elevate my happiness level. And I think I'm going to try to stick to this path going forward. I love it. And I definitely agree. And that's actually the, the motto of this week's guest, uh, Andrew Henderson from Nomad Capitalist. I really love it. It sums it up so well. It's simply go where you are treated best. And that applies to so many different things. It applies to not just service and, you know, people liking, you know, you for your, I mean, for, I mean, for example, as an Asian American, you know, there's some countries that will treat me better than others. You know, if I was black or if I was Arabic looking, if I was, uh, you know, uh, Latin looking, there's some countries that would ju- it's just a hurdle <laughs> to get people to even treat you nicely. While there's other countries where they just mm-hmm. naturally treat you well because for whatever reason, there's the, the stereotype in that country or the experience of that country where they just like people from, from, you know, that look like you or from America or, or from XYZ. And then there's all the other things, you know, about, you know, tr- go where our money treats us the best or our visa treats us the best or our passport treats us the best. Johnny, have you ever heard the saying in blind man's land, the one-eyed man rule and rules? Wow. Yeah, I, I guess that makes sense, right? Because, you know, a person with one eye can see infinitely better than a blind person in, in that world. Yeah, and I think this applies to so many things in life, like you said. And it's not just where you're treated best, but it's where you have an advantage. Where do you have a business advantage? Where do you, you have maybe a dating advantage? Are you single and looking to find a spouse? Well, I know personally, if I go to San Diego, I'm, <laughs> I have no advantage. If I go to Denver or London, I have no advantage. So there's nothing wrong with thinking about these things and thinking about how do I design my life to have an advantage? How do I design my life to be in places that I'm treated best? And that's what this episode is going to be about. So we have Andrew Henderson on. Uh, we're going to talk about the best citizenships you can acquire by investment. We're going to talk about the best visas that you can acquire around the world. And we're going to see what he's been doing. He's been doing this for the last decade. So I'm really interested and excited to talk to him. Yeah, I definitely am as well. Uh, let's have on Andrew Henderson. All right, we're back. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be with you. Appreciate the uh, invite. Yes, indeed. I, I believe you're in Kuala Lumpur at the moment. I am in Kuala Lumpur. Just got back here uh, about a week ago. And you know, I, I got to... Um, it's an interesting thing, this uh, this kind of New Year's in Asia, because you have so many things going on. You have Chinese New Year, and uh, it's a really busy time, but it's great. It's, it's nice to come back to the vibrance of Asia. Absolutely. So is that where you typically start your year then? This has been the one thing, and you know, I like to think that I figured a number of things in this whole, whole you know, nomad capitalist realm out. The thing that has um, a little bit eluded me is, is where do I spend my time? The answer is yes, I do start my year in Asia. It's nice to um, get a little bit of... Um, winter weather for New Year's. Uh, my wife being Russian, she likes to celebrate New Year's back in that part of the world. And so we do that. And then we uh, we get our dose of winter and we get out. But I, I think Kuala Lumpur is a great place to be year round also. I agree with that. Well, this is going to be a fun episode. We haven't really touched on visas, international citizenships, but it gets a ton of chat in our online mm-hmm. forum. So I know it's something that's of growing interest to so many people out there. Uh, as well as the international lifestyle, which has always been appealing to people, but is is more and more easy and accessible nowadays. But you know, one thing I noticed on on Nomad Capitalist, your slogan is "Go where you're treated best." And so, when you think of that, where are you currently treated best, Andrew? You're you're an American citizen living abroad. Where do you find that you're treated best? Well, I gave up my U.S. citizenship in late 2017. I don't know that the United States is the best place. I mean, it's an interesting uh, question in the United States. I, I met some guys in uh, in Vanuatu a couple of years ago who had renounced <laughs> back in the 70s. Wow. And they said, you know, I was still a U.S. citizen at the time. They said, you have the uh, uh, the worst of both worlds. I said, uh, they said, uh, you are a U.S. citizen who doesn't live there, yet you still have to deal with all the all the nonsense. And I said, you might be correct. However, I would think the one thing that's worse is you're a U.S. citizen who does live in the United States. Uh, and that's my personal <laughs> lifestyle perspective. But, uh, uh, you know, I, it's funny that in the course of when I was born 35 years ago, when the United States was ranked number one and by every metric in places to be born and what have you, uh, to now it's a dramatically different picture. There's so much more competition. And so the United States still kind of kind of acts like the, uh, the prom queen uh, when uh, there's so many other, uh, you know, cute girls. Mm-hmm. Um I think the interesting thing about go where you're treated best 
is it is all about cherry picking. You know, so you know, banking on a high level in support, um, developing countries like Armenia, um, where I just did a, a five and a quarter percent U.S. dollar term deposit. That was a pretty good place to park some dollars short term. Hmm. Those are good places to bank. I think, you know, for citizenship, I've chosen not to go down the route of what I call TRA passports. I think you'll see more countries um, being aggressive with their citizens. I, I, I don't really want to get into, you know, tons of rules and regulations and being tracked and monitored and everything. So I hold um, passports, a number of passports, not all of which I talk about, that, mm. um, that I think, oh, you know, leave me alone. You know, investing. Cambodia has been very good to me. George has been good to me, but becoming a little slower. Colombia is a new place where I think I can be treated best. So, I mean, to me, go where you're treated best is there's no one place. It's not a matter of picking up from point A and going to point B. It's a matter of looking at every piece of your life. And I've even started saying, you know, dating, relationships, uh, social life. I mean, these are all things where where are you treated best? And it's not all going to be one place by any means. Yeah. Wow, what, <laughs> that's, a lot of, that's a lot of things to really take into consideration when you're thinking about the international lifestyle. And what was, the, what was the initial decision when you gave up your U.S. citizenship in 2017? You're not an, an old guy. I mean, you're, you, you got started with this stuff pretty early on. But that's a big decision. I know it's a, a decision a lot of people talk about. It's, a, it's, it's less of something that a lot of people, at least in, in my network, actually do. It's, it's kind of on the back of their mind. But it's a big, it's a big decision. But how did that come about for you? Well, it's it's an emotional decision. I mean, mm -hmm. I think this is the thing that that nobody talks about. So I think you've got a lot of guys who are in interested in this stuff who are very analytical guys, and that's great. But there is another side. That's the human side. We are human beings, and it's very emotional. Even for a guy like me who never felt like I had the identity, never really felt comfortable in the country, didn't really want to have the identity. There's a lot of personal things for me. I guess for a long time. Uh, you know, I counsel people against making decisions out of anger. You know, we had one guy come and say, you know, I'm tired of funding the wars. And, and over the course of about a week, mm. I, I talked him out of that. And I said, you know, are there other reasons? It turns out there were. But I don't want someone just to renounce to protest the wars. I mean, that's, mm. that's not really productive. Um, but for me, it was something that had built up for many years. I had the personal issues. I just never felt the total push. And I think what it was, and I'm sure, I'll, you know, I get some flack for this, but I'm pretty apolitical these days. Uh, but what I saw when I was sitting here in Kuala Lumpur and I just put in an offer for the house I'm sitting in and I went back to my hotel and I was watching uh, the Trump inauguration uh, and he's talking about how we're going to make America first. I said, you know what? Everything I've heard and everything I see that everything I know about the country and the people and all that, uh, that means guys like like me and, and guys like your audience are are uh, going to be in for some hurt. And um you know, Americans have already dealt with things like uh, FATCA, this worldwide taxation, worldwide reporting. Now you have new things like uh, guilty. There's, you know, you have the FCPA. You've got so many rules and regulations. It's not just tax. It's so many rules and regulations and filings. And like, you know, you're, you're worried you're going to fight. I mean, my, my last tax return was like a small mm. town phone book. And you're worried you're going to mess up one thing. They're going to come and get you. And I just said, you know what? This is like the girlfriend that punches you in the face and you worry that if you let her stick around, the next thing you know, you're going to be sleeping and she's going to slit your throat. I didn't want to wait around for the next move. And so I just think, I mean, if you want to live in the U.S., God bless you. Make America great and uh, America first and all that. Fantastic. Uh, I don't live in the United States. And so I just felt like uh, this was going to be something where life for expats was going to become much more difficult. And it turns out I was right. And what be, what was the decision at that point? Were you already internationalized? Were you already living abroad when you decided to renounce your citizenship? Yeah, so I've been kind of studying and kind of privately looking at this stuff. This is my 13th year. I've been pretty actively doing it. Uh, it's my eighth year. And I've been traveling for you know most of those 13 years. Um, and so I'd, I'd left the U.S. full time like late 2012, early 2013. So I think that was an important thing. When I talk to people who, you know, have come into some kind of sudden wealth and they want to renounce, um, but they never lived outside of the U.S., it's difficult because it is emotional. It's like it's very permanent, right? Mm -hmm. so if, you haven't, if you haven't been outside of the soup to know it'll be okay, it's a decision for that person to make. But for me, uh, in the 
in the five years before I did it, I had spent, I think, six days in the country. Wow. Yeah. Uh, or something like that. Now, when you renounce your citizenship, and I don't want to get too far into this rabbit hole, but I have heard some a couple of horror stories where they renounce their citizenship and then they're basically denied access back into the U.S. to see, say, like a, a sick family member who couldn't travel. And that became a, a major point of regret. And the people that you've seen renounce citizenship in your own experience, after you renounce, is it has it been relatively easy to get back into the U.S. via visa or another passport? I, I don't think getting into the United – it's not one of those countries that's relatively easy to get into. What I will say is there's two categories. Uh, and I don't want to prognosticate too much. Um, but, uh, you know, for the people that we've seen who we've helped get you know, passports through ancestry like uh, UK, New Zealand, uh, Canada, I think Austria was one of them. There's, there's a handful that we've helped people get. Uh, they have what's called the visa waiver program or in the case of Canada, they can just come. Uh, they've had zero problems at all. And I have friends who you know, are Swiss and whatever, and they've also had no problems. Uh, Dutch, no problems. For people who you know get like a St. Kitts and Nevis passport and renounce, uh, it's a bit more of a crapshoot. Again, I don't want to prognosticate. You know, here's the situation for everyone who's not uh, entitled to visa-free access to the U.S. It's kind of like you know, are you going to draw the short straw or are you going to draw one of the normal straws? Mm-hmm. You're going to go for an interview, and there's going to be two or three people there, and there's always somebody who's kind of nice, and there's always someone who's not that nice. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a bit of a gamble. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you think that you're going to waltz in 100%, no problems, uh, this ain't the country to do it. So you've got to, you know, be prepared for that, have a plan. Um, but I don't necessarily know that the majority of people are out there to get renunciants. I just think that, uh, you know, if you've got a passport that is, uh, where they reject 40% of visa applicants, you might be one of the 40%. All right. Now, you can't just renounce your citizenship without another citizenship, correct? You have to be a citizen somewhere. You have to have a passport. So I assume, or is that, correct me if I'm wrong there, but I would assume that you had you had another passport before you renounced your U.S. citizenship. I know one or two people who have become stateless. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the discussion we have in our kind of our geek, you know, passport circles is, you know, what would happen if you renounced in a country with equal heft to the United States and you did become stateless? And then where would you go? Like if you renounced in China, would China call the U.S. and be like, listen, take this guy back because, uh, <laughs> you know, what are we? We don't want him here. Mm-hmm. Where would they deport you to? Right. But you can become stateless. I mean, it's really kind of a case by case basis with um, the embassies. Uh, some of the embassies are really strict. Some of them, I guess, are, are unpleasant. I've heard a couple of those stories. In my case, super nice, super professional. I've, I have nothing bad to say about the people there. Um, and they're like, hey, we'd like to know you're not going to be stateless. Um, but, you know, I think it's case by case. And, and you know, obviously I want to be respectful of, of our, you know, conversations that, mm-hmm. that I had with them. But I, I think it's case by case. I, I don't think you'd want to be stateless, I think, is the more important answer. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's get into what a lot of people are, are certainly interested in, which is additional citizenships and really good visas for travel and access to some great countries that we like to go to. What are some of the top programs for, for citizenships by investment right now? I mean, I know it's, it's always revolving and new ones are coming into the picture. What's, what's top of the list right now? Well, I think it really depends on what you're looking for. I mean, when you have the guy who wants to get out very quickly or he needs something very quickly, I mean, the Caribbean programs work fine. I mean, they've they've had a price war in recent years where you've got a number of programs that are now basically $100,000 for a single applicant, uh, not too much above that for a family of four even, you know, if you're married, for example. Um, so I think those can still be functional. They're commoditized programs. They're relatively straightforward. Um, you know, what I look at is kind of under the radar programs, not in a bad way, but just, you know, programs that what we call fast track naturalization. Um, one program that's interesting to me right now that's kind of commoditized is Turkey. Um, it's a very interesting T or C, as I would call it, passport. You can't go to the EU. You can't go to, to most of the Western world without a visa. But you can go pretty much everywhere else because it's such a big country and they negotiate good deals. Um, so Turkey's a $250,000 real estate investment. And unlike most of these programs, you can basically invest in whatever you want. Um, so you're not wasting much money as long as you do it properly. You know, if you go on you know, turkeyproperties.com, details up, you'll pay a fortune. But you know, when we look at it, we just sent someone to uh, – we sent one of our team members with a, a client last week and we found some really nice uh, deals for them. And that's a good deal. You know, there's, there's what's called paper citizenship, 
where you go and get residence permitted a country and come back. Uh, those are certainly changing all the time. Um, ancestral passports, if you can get one, are good. Um, most of those are in Europe. We've also recently helped someone with Mexico. Hmm. Um, Vietnam, well, I think we skipped on that one. I don't think they really wanted to be Vietnamese. Those sometimes take a while. So if the goal is to get a passport very quickly, even though you think, oh, I'm, ent I'm entitled to Italian citizenship, but recently told a guy, let's get one of these Caribbean passports first because you might take three years to get your Italian one. So, you know, I like the idea of a passport portfolio. I think that's very uh, um, that's a very interesting concept to, ha to have more than one. Mm. How about out, out in the Pacific Oceans? You, you mentioned one earlier, and I forget how to pronounce it, Vana, Vanatuu or something? Yeah, Vanuatu. Vanuatu. And I talked to some of the folks there, and I said, listen, I mean, you like these, they have like multiple programs. So Vanuatu has these like conflicting programs, and the price is always changing, and there's always a rumor like some guy in China has a special deal to like sell it for less, or someone's buying in bulk, or this or that. It's really confusing. They've done a bad job marketing it. It's an interesting country. I, I think some of their, their benefits have been eroded. I mean, four of the five Caribbean countries now have visa-free access to Russia, for example, which is one of the benefits of Vanuatu. So that's kind of been, that's less interesting now. Mm. Uh, it's interesting travel to the UK, to Europe, to parts of Asia, not so good in the Americas, actually pretty bad in the Americas. It's a tax-free country that's somewhat neutral, more so than the Caribbean countries, but uh, they've just done such a, I mean, to be honest, they've done such a bad job with it. They could do so much better. And I know, I know, I just, I just had a guy, uh, one of my guys in Vanuatu, he's a, he's a great guy, he messaged me the other day, he said, you know, when are you coming back? Uh, we should talk about the citizenship program. And I, I just said, you know, they need to get, they need to get it cleaned up. Hmm. I, I was, I was just taking a look at passports the other day and how many visa-free countries each passport can get you into. And I think in kind of standard Western countries, you can get somewhere around 160, 100, 160 to 180 I was looking at, I spent a lot of time in Thailand, not that I have a, a, a lot of desire to get a Thai passport, but I just happened to look that one up. It's like one of the worst passports in the world. I mean, you can yep. only get into like 24 countries or something visa-free. I mean, it's it's absolutely horrible compared to any type of passport most of the listeners are holding. It's Why is it so bad? Like, is that just a bad job of their government going out and, and, and trying to get uh, visa-free travel? Or is it... Is it something else? Here's the thing that I think for those of us from the West, it, it, it's almost taboo to say, but it's very true. Every country in the world views itself at a certain level. If your So if your country is above that level, they often welcome you with open arms. If your country is below that level, they shun you. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is why you know, the United States and European Union have so many countries. Now, part of it's reciprocity. You can come to our country. We can come to yours. Um, but... I mean, if you look at um, things like overstay rates or people who are working illegally or people who are going and claiming amnesty, those are issues. But the other thing that no one wants to talk about is there are stereotypes. I mean, I remember, um, you know, we have a team that's, um, you know, from Serbia, from North Macedonia. We're starting to go into Ukraine now. Uh, we had a couple of people at one point. They were traveling around. You know, they have that Eastern European look there. You know, they're they're like almost six feet tall. These, uh, you know, these women and uh, they're young, and the stereotype in many of these countries is, oh, you're here to model. Where's mm -hmm. your work permit? Or even worse, you know, the next level worse, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's these stereotypes. You know, if you're a good-looking, you know, 25-year-old woman, people make stereotypes, and it's not fair, but it is what it is. You know, certainly there's been things like wars that have caused it. You know, I'm here with, um, you know, our, our uh, videographer who is, is Serbian. It's one of the few countries that needs a visa to get into Malaysia because Malaysia sided with Bosnia back in the war. Mm -hmm. So there's things like that. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest issues are overstay rates. Um, you can go and look at uh, in the United States, they have, a, they have the, uh, the rate, uh, overstay rate. Um, and so the more likely you are to overstay, to work, to go and do stuff. You know, in the U.S., by the way, Israel is their best friend. They always say, oh, our best friend Israel. Israelis can't come to the U.S. without a visa. Why? Two reasons. Number one, they discriminate against Arab Americans going to Israel. So there's that reciprocity against them. Number two. If we go to the mall, all of us just got out of the IDF and they're saving money to go to university and they're selling those soaps. Like, come up and come and try my soaps. They're all working illegally. And so the U.S. is like, well, we don't want people coming. You know, get a visa. And so if you're 23 years old in Israeli, you're probably not getting a visa. <laughs> it's a complicated system. <laughs> it is complicated, yeah. By, yeah. by the way, Serbia, just to mention what we mentioned, Serbia, they've done an incredible job of negotiating visa-free uh, travel. They've got an excellent passport. If you don't care about the U.K. or the U.S., 
Uh, they've got an excellent passport because, yes, I think they have done a good job negotiating. Hey, bosses, let me tell you about Indeed, this week's sponsor. When you start the hiring process, you may have questions. Will you find good applicants to choose from? What about education and experience? And how will you know you've made the right hire? Indeed is here to help. Millions of candidates have used Indeed every day to find their next opportunity. You can post a job in minutes and use screener questions to help create your short list of applicants fast. Also, add skills tests to your job posts so you can be confident in your applicants' abilities. Their library of more than 50 skill tests ranges from industry-specific skills like accounting to general opportunity tests like critical thinking. Indeed gives you the smart tools to make hiring decisions quickly and you'll be confident that you're making the right hire for your team. Post your up today at indeed.com slash ilab and get a free sponsored job upgrade on your first posting that's indeed.com slash ilab terms conditions and exclusions apply offer valid through march 31st 2020 how many countries would you say right now are available to get citizenship through some type of straightforward investment not not a not a 20 year thing or you get a right. visa and then you get citizenship 10 years later just buy the passport uh, and you're well, off. I mean, if you look at passports that are, you know, have commoditized programs, uh, it's about 12 right now, maybe mm-hmm. 13. I guess Egypt has some really overpriced deal. Then if you look at programs where, hey, uh, come and put $50,000 in government bonds and we'll give you a residence permit and, uh, you know, five years from now you can apply and maybe you should speak a few words of the language and we're not gonna really going to check as of today's standards, where you were during those five years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's probably another 15, 20 countries. I think, again, it depends on your nationality. There are certain countries that are much, uh, you know, Albania, for example. Only Americans get a five-year residence permit, and they don't really check where you are because they're so U.S. friendly. Um, so there are certain countries that have favorable terms, and generally mm-hmm. those are Western countries. And what about the cheapest? What's the cheapest one that you know of available? Is it somewhere in the Caribbean? Well, again, I mean, so this kind of fast-track naturalization, it's always kind of a case-by-case basis. We do those. We don't really talk about them because, um, you know, you look at what happened in Paraguay a couple of years ago. Everyone and their mother was was talking about Paraguay as fast, easy, cheap. And the country said, we don't want to be known as this kind of dumping ground. <laughs> well, I don't necessarily publicize the stuff because, you know, they run their course eventually anyway. Uh, the cheapest program that's just straightforward is $100,000, Dominica, St. Lucia. If you are... Uh, more than one person. It's Antigua and Barbuda. They've got kind of a weird physical presence requirement you've got to do in the first five years to finalize your passport. Um, but, you know, any of those are in the low six figures and you can get them, get them very quickly. The cheapest one that I, I did get uh, a couple of years ago that's been suspended was Comoros. And people kind of joked about that. But it was a nice gap filler um, because it was an extra passport. Like I've used it in Singapore. I've used it in uh, uh, Malaysia. I've used it. And I have a residence permit in Malaysia. But, you know, I've used it in countries that some of my other tier B passports I couldn't get into um, before I got St. Lucia. And um, that was $45,000. I don't think we'll see anything like that again. Well, I don't, that, not, I've not heard of Comoros. Comoros was, uh, yeah, it ran. I don't know when it started exactly. I don't know, early 2010s. It started with a, like a bulk deal with some of the uh, Gulf states where they wanted to get rid of uh, the Badoons, the stateless Badoons, and they wanted hmm. to give them citizenship so they could deport them. And I, I haven't followed that process entirely. Obviously, there's some human rights issues there. But yeah, they sold it. Um, you know, There were a couple different channels, kind of like Vanuatu. We went through the pretty clean channel. I've talked to the UK embassy, and mm-hmm. you know, we always make sure everything's on the up and up. I guess there were some other guys on the ground doing some weird stuff, and so they just put a shut. They they shut it down. But you know, if you have a passport, it's still intact. Yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. And you know, I, I keep seeing all these property investment opportunities popping up. Um, I think that's actually an interesting program. I'm doing the golden visa now in Spain, yeah. um, but some of these things look pretty dodgy. You know, the I guess the ones I've seen are mostly in the Caribbean. Yeah. St. Kitts, um, you know, you, you have, you, you, you bought, you invest for citizenship and then there's all these, these properties that are kind of popping up to support these programs. Um, and there's really flashy marketing material and you, you can get a 7% yield and all this. Have you heard of anyone that's, that's actually done it through one of these sort of direct investment vehicles, these direct yeah. property investments that were really designed around these citizenship programs? I, I, I'm familiar with a few people. I mean, almost. I mean, notice in some of these countries. I mean, 
in the Caribbean countries, some of them literally might have 200 applications approved in a year. So it's not a huge number of people. And out mm. of that, you might have, you know, 40 or something that did real estate. So it's really not that uh, many people. The numbers are, are on a smaller scale than you might expect. Um, yeah, generally everyone would tell you it's a terrible deal. I mean, it's one of those things where it's what I always say. People, what's the place to incorporate offshore? I don't know. And if someone else tells you they do know, then they have a vested interest in selling that to you. You know, you never call the guy in Panama and he says, you know where I think you should incorporate? Malta, right? <laughs> uh, the only people I think about pitching these things are the people who, you know, make a commission. And, and I, just, I just got a thing on uh, LinkedIn the other day. I passed it along to our real estate uh, person and said, uh, politely decline. They said, hey, you know, if you want to sell our, our property in Turkey for us for this uh, CBI, uh, we'll give you a 9% commission. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you're paying someone a 9% commission before they even negotiate, uh, that's what's called a ripoff. Wow. Um, and, I, and I've seen some of these guys in this industry. You know, I, I'm hosting a conference, uh, Nomad Capitalist Live, this year. I've been out of this conference scene for a while, um, but we did some conferences before. And you always have these guys calling you, offering you like 20% commission on their banana plantation. There's just a lot of bad deals out there. I mean, 20% commission. How good is that investment? Yeah, that's, and and where's the ban banana plantation? Is it in Guatemala or? Right, they're all over. Yeah, because and, and what and what and what they'll tie it into sometimes, or what people will tie it into is, I heard a thing recently. Get your Panama Friendly Nations visa. You've only got to be there one day a year to get the tax benefits. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You have to be mm. there one day a year to keep the permanent residence active. Permanent resident status in and of itself really does nothing. You're not a tax resident of the country. And, and they were basically intimating that you cannot pay tax in the U.S. if you just spend one day in Panama. Like, that's not how it works. I'd be on a flight to Panama tomorrow if that was the case. Of course. Let's, let's hop over to uh, Golden Visas for a second. There's, of course, lots of different visa programs available worldwide. The golden visas seem to be quite appealing. And a lot of people in my network have spent a lot of time in, in, in uh, the last decade in Asia. A lot of people seem to want to spe start spending more and more time in Europe. Of course, there's ways that you can kind of hack that, at least with a, a U.S. visa, uh, U.S. passport. Um, but the golden visas are seem to be seem to be a really good product. That's what I'm, I'm doing here in in Spain. What are some of your favorite countries for a golden visa or some of the most popular ones that you're aware of? I think the the big question for golden visa or for any kind of visa in Europe is, you know, do you want to live in Europe? If the goal is to live in Europe, then you have to match, obviously, the, the tax planning aspect. I've had a couple guys call and say, listen, it's Spain. I'm married to Spain. There's nowhere else I'm going. You know, Spain, Spain, Spain. My wife will only go to Spain. Um, and so there is kind of this um, moderate tax exemption you can do in Spain for 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 six years. Um, you know, I think Portugal still is a good program in that a guy like me, and I think a lot of people, you know, we want to keep our options open. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily want to be in the country for six months. I mean, in Latvia, it's nine months. Now, I mean, we can debate how flexible some of these countries are on, you know, your home is in Latvia and you're paying taxes in Latvia, but, you know, you're actually in Belgium part of that time mm -hmm. because it's the Schengen area. Um, but... You know, for me, I don't want to be locked in for the next minimum five, maximum, I think, 10 years, nor do I want to be at the whims of a country like Greece, where they're not really known to naturalize people who aren't ethnically Greek. That's kind of that region. Bulgaria was kind of the same thing. Um, they did naturalize a few people through that, that bond program. Mm -hmm. uh, and now they've kind of, they're kind of they've denaturalized a lot of people. So that region was just never great at naturalizing. Uh, I think Portugal makes sense. I think if you want to live somewhere, I think the one place that interests me that no one talks about uh, is Ireland. It's far more expensive, and you do need to be there for six months. But, you know, it is in the Anglosphere. And, and so the one thing that sometimes I think that you miss is you miss, you know, telling a joke to the waiter, that kind of thing. And you're not going to get that in Portugal either. Yeah. Or Spain. Uh, and so I think Ireland, you get that kind of connection if you're from the U.S., from Canada, from, you know, wherever. And endless laughs in Ireland. I absolutely love that country. Love Ireland. What, what's the visa program there? Is it a million or something? Yeah, well, they've, they've raised it. Yeah, so that's a minimum million euros uh, for like a venture fund. Uh, so it's about three times the price of, of Portugal. Mm -hmm. uh, the REIT program is two million. It's, it's by no means cheap. And it used to be you could, you could do like half a million investment and then put like 450 into a house. Uh, something around that back in like 2014, 2015. And they, they got rid of that because it's become 
too popular. And so, yeah, what you see is some of these countries, Australia and New Zealand are notorious for this. They just raise the price because they're not trying to do volume. Mm -hmm. You know, Canada canceled it. They're saying, what, what are we getting out of this? Yeah, so, so where do you think the, the gold, well, specifically golden visas, or I guess yeah. would like Canada, Australia, are those visas really considered golden visas or golden visas specifically for Spain or for uh, Europe? I think golden visa was Spain and Portugal. Now the term is just, you know, applied. The media loves to use it in, in both kind of an easy to explain, but also pejorative way sometimes, you know, I mean, people with gold these days, uh, proverbial gold are, are not very well liked in many circles. Um, so, yeah, I mean, an immigrant investor, you know, an investment immigration program is what I would say they all fall under, whether it's called a golden visa or something else. So if someone comes to you and says, hey, I want to live in Spain, uh, I'm thinking about doing the golden visa in Spain to live there. Mm. I mean, is that is that the definite course? Because one other alternative way I was looking at doing it was just say, do it in Greece where it's mm. it's half the price and then use the visa of Greece to live in Spain, um, and I understand that that's not the, the intended use, and you're not really allowed to reside in Spain. But once you're in the Schengen area, then who's really checking? So I guess that's more of a hacked way. But do you know anyone that's yeah. actually trying to do it that way, or would you recommend recommend that in any cases? Yeah, I mean, you know, they call me the, the goody two shoes of the offshore, right? Because I try and keep things clean. I mean, certainly, you know, if you're going to spend some time in Spain, that can work. You're allowed to travel around. Uh, technically, the rule is 90 days. Um, and so, you know, my advice would be how much time do you want to spend in Spain? I almost always talk people out of living in Spain because even if you qualify for that tax exemption and really anywhere in Europe, like the paperwork and the planning and the corporate structuring, it's a lot more work. Mm -hmm. So I had a guy who wanted to do it recently. I said, like, you know, are you willing to spend, I don't remember, $15,000, more to do Spain uh, because of all the structuring with your business? Um, just like more. Just versus even Portugal, I think. And that's more than Malaysia. Um, so I, you know, if I'm living full time in Spain, I, I, I might not want to do the, the Greek program. Um, you know, I, I like to be conservative. Um, what I can tell you is the people who have wanted to do the Spanish, or, you know, have wanted to live in Spain, they just want to buy the property. It's not about the money for them. I and mean, we had mm -hmm. one guy, he's got a you know, multi-hundred million dollar company. Um, you know, so for him, the, the added you know, investment wasn't the issue. The issue was the tax planning. And that's an area that Spain nor Greece are very friendly on. <laughs> well, hopefully they don't have the uh, infrastructure and prowess of the IRS. But um, Spain we'll is see. nasty. We'll we, see. we had a guy. We had to get him out of Spain. Uh, and it was a very interesting position. I, I won't belabor it. But uh, it was very interesting. And... and uh, <laughs> People think Spain is lazy, and I think some people in Spain <laughs> have that impression, like, oh, they'll never find us. That's kind of the old impression. They Believe me, they found this guy. They've, they've dug in. Like, they really uh, dug into him. And, uh, yeah, when you need something from them, they're nowhere to be found. When right. they need shekels from you, they're on you like a hawk. So um, I, I, I think they're pretty well dialed in. Other Another country that's, that's relatively well dialed in that people wouldn't expect is Indonesia. I'm not saying they're like a bunch of uh, killers, but uh, uh, I mean, they're not uh, sitting around either. Yeah. We want to have a quick discussion uh, as we kind of head towards closing just around diplomatic citizenships or dip I don't know, is it diplomatic visas rather? Um, I think there's there's maybe some myths out there about these. Um, but in general, are, are these programs available through investment and, and are the benefits of a diplomatic visa uh real this is one of those questions where i would say you know it's kind of like people who want to have um you know they want to have an anonymous company you know where can i register my company no one can find me i don't mind people finding me you know uh i don't understand this great i understand wanting to be left alone i don't understand this thing where you want to totally hide out and you're under the radar um i think the same thing with these diplomatic passports i mean what's the benefit um that said the answer is uh no with this caveat, I was in discussions, um, I, you know, with a law firm once, and we talked to some folks in the government. If in the future, you know, um, a country that I'm a citizen of, uh, if I could actually go and do the job, I don't, think, I don't know if I'd like doing the job. I don't know if it'd be a job that I would like. But they're actually saying, yeah, you know what? We're looking for people who can do, um, who can promote the country for business. Like you're not going to be the ambassador, but we'll give you a job, and you get a diplomatic passport, and you can go out and, you know, promote the country. Um, and so there's those opportunities. 
Um, and, and I know that some of the, even the Caribbean countries, you know, maybe if you went and spent some time, uh, but, you know, just to say, Hey, there have been some cases that have been rumored about that. I talked to, um, I think it was the economist they asked me and I said, you know, there have been a few, but countries are so afraid of that now. I mean, maybe if you knew somebody in like Russia or something, mm -hmm. uh, they literally just don't care. But these smaller countries, especially the ones in the Caribbean, I mean, they're so afraid of doing things uh, and running afoul of the bigger countries. Uh, I don't think they're doing that. I guess the best place to get a diplomatic passport is you just donate money to uh, to Trump's reelection, and, uh, and uh, you know, to, what, what's the going rate under him and Obama? Two fifty? You get a, you, you get an ambassadorship. And does that? What kind of benefits does that have? I guess you get to be an ambassador. I mean, for the it's for the rich guy who has it all. Hmm. I heard it like the, the diplomatic passports you get. You have like well, it's called diplomatic immunity, in it? And sure. but, but from it's what? Like, yeah, exactly. And like, are you really getting that so that you can fast track through a country and not have your bags checked, or so you can get away with a a, a misdemeanor in in a foreign country? And if if that's your reasons, maybe it's more alluring. But there was a guy, and I don't want to mention any names, but there was a guy who was made the ambassador. He promoted a country, and they made him one of their ambassadors. And he was he was in the country, and they said, um, you know, whatever for whatever reasons. They declared him persona non grata, and uh, they kicked him out. And uh, they can do that. And if you committed a crime, you know, people think, oh, I'm a diplomat. You know, they can't touch me. No, mm -hmm. the home, your home country, the, the country that is, you know, put you there, they can do something if they want. I mean, if you, you know, you know, kill somebody, it doesn't mean that you're off uh, clean. It just means that wherever you're you're coming from might uh, might try you. Mm. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't uh, – here, here's the thing with this industry, and this is the thing I've tried to change. And I put my face up there. I've made at this point, you know, 700 plus videos. We've written over uh, 1,500 articles. Um, you know, I like to be out there, not because I necessarily want to be out there, but because I thought that the industry needed a facelift from these nameless, faceless characters who use fake names, use stock mm -hmm. photos, or hiding under their bed. Um, because here's the thing: the average business owner doesn't like that. Uh, doesn't feel comfortable with that. There's a small group of people. Uh, who I guess you know you and I know and they are the corner cutters and you know We can go to the whole psychology of some of those people But you know the average person who's just making a lot of money in business doesn't feel comfortable with that stuff And so my thing was let's open this up so everyone can go where they're treated best and you know Again, I think what the US does with taxation is unfair. Uh, I'm pretty libertarian but I don't get bogged down in this stuff of like trying to find these hacks so like someone can't check my bet. To me, it's just it's just a waste of time. It's just it's almost I don't I don't see the benefit. I don't want I don't want to play you know armchair psychologist, but I just don't see the benefit for some of this stuff. Andrew, where, where do you think that it, all this goes in the future with borders and visas and citizenships? Do you think it's easier thirty years down the road to move about? live where you want to live or do you think things get uh, more restricted from here? Well, I've been talking recently. I mean, I think there's a, there's a handful of countries, you know, I call them the CUNA countries, C-U-N-A, Canada, United States, uh, New Zealand, and Australia. Those are the four most difficult countries uh, because the CBI programs in the Caribbean don't cover them. The UK and Ireland are also a bit tough to get into. The rest of the world doesn't really care where you're from. You know, I go to the UAE, was in Dubai um, with someone a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, here in Malaysia, all over the world, nobody cares where you're from. I actually went in to get a, uh, a Mexican uh, uh, visa, was talking with the ambassador, and he said how difficult I made my life because I gave up U.S. citizenship. And I said, it was the most pleasant conversation I've ever had about Mexico and Mexican food. Here's your visa. Have a nice day. And so nobody cares. Uh, if you can deal without those four countries, uh, I think you'll be fine. I think tier B passports, those are what I define as countries that are passports that can go to the European Union without a visa, but not the US. I think those are increasing. I see most of those passports adding more small countries. If you're from Syria, uh, that could be challenging. But I think for people who are following what we talk about, it's going to get easier. My thing on the tier A passports, the Americans, the Germans, the Australians, etc., is you're going to see more taxation, probably through the back door perhaps a minimum tax on citizens. So if you're not paying something, you can pay your home country. Uh, I think tier B is going to be the place to be. Tier B, the place to be. It's got a little jingle to it. Well, tell, yeah. us a, tell us a little bit more in closing about Nomad Capitalist. You've talked a little bit about the articles you guys have written, some of the videos you've put out. What, what do people come to you guys for specifically? Yes, we generally 
with you know what we call seven and eight figure entrepreneurs. Um, we offer a holistic service where my the first thing that I think everyone should do is have a plan. You know, what are we doing? Cover it has to cover your finances, your lifestyle, residence, and citizenship, and your investments. The investments can support the residence or citizenship. The lifestyle, of course, has to be taken care of. The bank accounts have to be in the right place. It all has to work together. Because what you don't want to do is get your company in one place and then you can't get a bank account, then you can't get a merchant account, then you find out you have a CFC issue in some country, then it doesn't match your residence. I mean, you want to do it all together at once. So once we have a plan, then we execute the plan, and I've spent 13 years putting together our network of vendors, um, and that's what we do. We help people do that uh, and solve their problems, whether it's taxes, passports, what have you. Uh, we've also uh, launched our uh, conference called Nomad Capitalist Live for folks who aren't quite sure where to go yet, want to gather some info. Um, we've got some uh, some fun speakers coming, and that's kind of the entry level thing for folks who are just trying to figure out where they're going. But you know, my, what I've learned in, in all these years as a guy who was not as much of a doer in the beginning is, you know, imperfect action beats uh, perfect inaction all the time. It's that old saying. If this is important to you, you just got to do it. I think so many people look at it uh, and fantasize about it and say one day. Uh, but if it's important, uh, this stuff is not getting any easier. Uh, so I think it's important just to just to get it started. Wise words, Andrew. It's been a lot of fun. Links to all that in the show notes, guys. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. And, and it's been a lot of fun. Looking forward to sharing this with everybody. Great to be with you, man. Always a pleasure. Woo! You got me excited to look around for either a second passport or residency or some kind of way where I can be like the 007 of the travel world. <laughs> Collect those passports, man. A lot of people spend their whole life just going out and collecting passports. For me, I only got one. I think that's the same for you, Johnny. Oh, Americano. Yeah, but you're working on your your second one now, right? Or at least your residency. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's right. The gold, old golden visa of Spain. It's been a long time coming, and it's still a pretty daunting process. It's kind of burned me out the last month, i got to be honest. Um, but, you know, the, the best visa that I have, that I've had for the last five years, I don't think anything touches it. It's Thai elite from Thailand. I mean, that that thing is just king. <laughs> no pun intended, but that's a, a hell of a good visa. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And the fact that you can just basically buy that visa, get treated well, I mean, literally, you know, go where you're treated the best. You know, with a Thai elite visa, as you land, they're treating you well. As you're in the country, they're treating you well. At the visa office, the immigration, they're treating you well. And when you're in the country, they're treating you well. So it, it really does uh, embody everything that that you know Andrew teaches it's true very true and I don't, I've never seen any visa like this in the world now most countries have some type of visa program the US is actually the biggest one where basically I don't know the name of it but you make a large enough investment you get a visa most countries have this to some degree but I've never seen one like Thailand's where you get picked up in a 7 series BMW and chauffeured to your residence or hotel when you go back to the airport they pick you up in the 7 series and put you in a lounge I mean I wish every country in the world had that because I would figure out how to make enough money to buy it for every country. It's just that good. Yeah, and it, the thing is, it makes sense because countries, you know, want tourism, and when they want tourism, you know, like why not create a VIP experience or service for people who can afford it, who you know either come for business or just like your country, and just make it a good experience mm -hmm. for them. I mean, it could be a money maker. It could be a headache reducer. Because, you know, the fact is, when someone has a lot of money, they don't want to be bothered with, like, you know, annoying little things like standing in line and immigration. So if they can go to a country where that process is easy and smooth, they're going to go there and spend their money instead of going somewhere where they make it difficult. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people, once once they go that route, say they, they don't have the Thai elite visa and they get it, I don't think there's ever going back. Because we know people in Thailand that they're doing well, making plenty of money. They live there full time and yet every month or so they have to think about flying out to Malaysia or Saigon or somewhere else to stay three or four nights. I mean, you're spending more money actually on the flights and hotels than you would be if you just got the visa. I think that my visa costs somewhere around 2500 US a year. But I could definitely see how it's a headache saver because, you know, even though there are other visas you can get, maybe that can keep you in the country for three months at a time 
or getting some kind of education visa where you have to attend some you know some language class or some other other class you know uh, once a week for people who have more you know, have enough money to be able to afford something like, like the Thai Lee visa it's it's a no brainer you know and mm-hmm. I think every country should do that I, I think it's silly that the countries that don't especially poor countries. <laughs> that need the tourism or cut you know any country that wants the tourism because you know if a country doesn't really need it just mark up the price and say oh it's a million dollars to get this and you know maybe only five people will get it but you know why not create that service it's still a money maker it's still a good way to attract you know high quality high spending people to your country absolutely well johnny i wanted to ask you where does this all sit with you because you've now been on a program for at least the last year that you found kind of four or five really good locations. Your goal was to travel less and stay in places longer. Last year you did it. This year you're repeating exactly what you did last year, which I think is awesome because it just means that you're happy with <laughs> where you're at and what you did last year. So you've basically figured out a way to run around the world without acquiring new visas or passports. Are you, are you content with that or is there, is there one or two out there that you'd like to get so that you might be able to live a little bit differently? So... I was excited, you know, on the episode, and then I looked into it a little bit on my own afterwards to kind of see if I was to get a second passport, which one would it be? Because it, it does sound cool to have one. And I realized that if, uh, first off, I think we're very fortunate that we both have U.S. passports because even though it's not actually the best ones out there, uh, for, for for many reasons, you know, one is only being able to stay in the EU, the Schengen zone, for ninety days every one one eight hundred eighty days. And the second is the reciprocal visa fees and headaches that a lot of countries that usually, I don't know, it's almost silly. Like Sri Lanka and Brazil are two countries that have this reciprocal visa thing where because we make it hard for their citizens to go to the U.S., they make it hard and expensive for us to stay here longer. And it's almost (laughs) like a passive-aggressive move on their part where they're like, well, screw you too. But what they don't realize is that the U.S. doesn't really need Sri Lankan or Brazilian tourists, you know, while the, those countries would benefit a lot more from having more Americans go. Yeah, very true. Yeah. So, so what do you think you're going to do? So that being said, it would be nice to have a second passport. But the only way it would actually make any sense is if I was somehow able to get one through Heritage if I was able to, you know, if I was, if I had like an Italian grandma or if I was able to somehow, like somehow get one through heritage, I would absolutely do it. And I encourage everyone who, you know, who has some kind of roots, uh, some, you know, somewhere where they can get a second passport, just do it because there's very little downside. And it seems like, you know, kind of an easy no brainer to have a second passport, but I don't have that. And, you know, the, the best I can probably maybe do is get a Taiwanese passport, which really isn't that strong because Taiwan is not recognized by a lot of countries because of China. So the other route would be to kind of buy in on a passport. I think the easiest one that I saw was in South America somewhere. I think it was um, Argentina. No, no. In, Definitely not Argentina. No, it was Argentina. <laughs> most of them are in, yeah, most of them are in the Caribbean, like Dominica, St. Kitts. But there, there's always new ones popping up all the time. Um, but most of those are kind of worthless travel documents. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And so the one I was looking at uh, was was Panama. And that was actually pretty easy. You can basically just show up there. You can get residency very easily. And then the only requirement is for you to go back you know, once every two years or something. But then, you know, mm-hmm. when I really looked at the benefits of it, like there, there really isn't that much, especially as... You know, as a U.S. passport holder, the benefits are so small, and even the hassle of needing to go, uh, you know, back to South America once every two years, it's just not worth it for me. So I'm quite content having a U.S. passport, and I think the only countries where I would actually, you know, want to have a different passport for that's not very easy for Americans is Thailand. <laughs> you know, so if I somehow had a um, mm-hmm. I think there's a few countries that get longer visas just on arrival. Uh, I think for some reason South Korea, like South Korea, is like that. Where I think they get 90 days on arrival, uh, and some other countries as well. They just have some kind of deal. And second would be Russia because as Americans we need to apply for a visa. But mm-hmm. I th- right now uh, there is actually a 
a visa still in place where you can apply once and you can get a three-year visa to Russia. Did you know that? Uh, I've heard that. That's uh, it's pretty new, yeah. And that's a great place to be able to go visa-free, even though you haven't been yet, Johnny. You don't know what you're in for there. Yeah, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll like it. And so I think my plan is... Yeah. You know, this year, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, redoing my route again, uh, two months in Sri Lanka, which turns out to be an expensive extension. It's $137 for me to extend it because I'm American. The German girl I'm traveling with, it's only, I think, $37 for her or $27. So, so it's literally a hundred dollars mm-hmm. more just because I'm American, <laughs> which is kind of like a big just F you, to- right? Yeah, this just happened to me when I got off the plane in Turkey. And the visa guy or the immigration guy looks at me and goes, it had this big like sorrow face on. He's like, no Turkish visa? I'm like, what? You need a Turkish visa to get in? He's like, ah, no problem. Visa on arrival office, 100 yards down the down the way. Went there, paid for it. It's just, a, you know, it's kind of annoying. But, but then my girlfriend got into Turkey uh, visa free with uh, no money. So boom, look at that. Yeah. So, you know, another good example of going where you're treated best. Uh, but, you know, right now I'm going to Ukraine because it's out of the Schengen zone. So I can spend three months in Western Europe and then three months in Ukraine. But I think if I, mm-hmm. if I, if I like Russia, if I can learn to speak Russian, I'm going to get three year visa and just, just start going there because it'd be way easier. I don't think you'd be disappointed. I don't think you can. Right now, the value in Russia and Ukraine are so good. I don't know if it's going to stay like that for long, but uh, people are great. Everything's great except for the food. So I, I think oh, you will really like it. And I love what the, the Russian Russian food. Yeah, yeah, the blue borscht. I love potatoes and meat. I love the salads. I love the <laughs> soups. It's hearty. It's it's my borscht. kind of food. See if you can have borscht 365 days a year. You know what? I definitely could. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Russia, here I come. But what about yeah. you? Like like. Is there any desire for you to kind of go through that whole process and, and, and any regrets of doing the, you know, attempting the, the golden visa in Spain? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think for new passports, yes, but more of a tro- more as a trophy, a trophy and a hedge. I mean, there's a lot of people that are getting additional passports, especially American citizens are doing it as a hedge. They're kind of these gold bugs that, you know, what happens if America goes to war with Russia and are we going to be locked down to our country what happens if something systematic happens in america or i break the law in america and they won't let me out um you know there's it's a good hedge nothing wrong with it but the process can be pretty complicated or the investment can be pretty large so a lot of things the way for me if i can have i think the ultimate travel document is having visa free access to the to eu unlimited right now as american you get 30 days uh, no, you can get 90 days within 180 or effectively half the year, but you can't stay there uh, for more than 90 days in a row. So having being able to stay in Europe, access to America's um, my homeland where my parents are, is very important. And having access to Asia all year round. I mean, I, I want all that. And if you can get the Thai elite visa, you can stay in Thailand all year and then you can travel anywhere in Europe very easily. I'm sorry, anywhere in, in Asia very easily and, you know, basically unlimited amounts. And then uh, with the golden visa, I'll have unlimited access to Europe. And then, of course, with the U.S. passport, uh, the Americas, I got got covered. So uh, so I'm pretty close to getting all that done. The golden visa in Euro- in Barcelona or Spain, we'll have to do a dedicated episode on that. I'm not even sure I'm going to be able to get it now. The attorneys are now saying, after I checked with three and said, yeah, no problem, just buy the property, get the visa. Uh, now, now one of them saying that I probably or I may have a lot of trouble because of my, my background with the uh, four or five misdemeanors I got on there. And of course, when I asked them before I applied and bought the property, they said, yeah, no problem. No one's ever been denied for a golden visa because of some misdemeanors. But now he's saying it might be a problem. So oh, God. we'll see. Um, that would be a big letdown, of course. The problem with a property in Spain is like if you buy it and then you, you're like, no, nah, it's not for me, or you try to flip it, you're going to lose immediately you're going to lose 10% because you have to pay a 10% tax when you buy it and then you're going to have to sell it through an agent so you're going to lose another 5% or something so uh it's been a process man i think i definitely would have done things differently the, for sure what i would have done is i would have bought a place that was 500,000 right on the mark um 
because this project now is probably going to end up costing me close to a million. So I have to do this whole renovation and it's like, eh, it's, it's too much. So definitely I would have just bought the cheaper place that was turnkey and I could have started living and or renting it. Um, and then would I have done it differently versus like Spain versus another country? I'm starting to think so, but I need to, I need to think about it a little bit longer. It's only been a month. Um, so we'll, we'll have to do a dedicated episode on that as well. Yeah, let's, let's definitely do that. Cause I think that would be an interesting topic and that sucks, man. I'm sorry you're going through all that headache. Yeah, no, it's all, I mean, it's, it's all a learning experience, right? Like Thailand now is all set up. It's when I get off that plane, I got the Thai elite visa. I have the apartment in Chiang Mai. I have my community and it's blissful. I, I absolutely love it. So there's an investment process, both in terms of money, time and, and mental bandwidth and getting these things set up. And of course that investment hopefully pays off in the future with a, just an awesome place to spend as much time at each year you want to. But, um, but yeah, in Spain, the bureaucracy, things aren't always as they seem to be. Everyone seems to have their hand in your pocket. Uh, and I just don't know the system. I don't know the language. So the honeymoon period is over of getting off the plane and just eating tapas and having great wine uh, on the beach. Now, for it, but um, yeah. I, think in, I think in the end, it'll be great. It's just that first month. Yeah, now it's time to, to deal with the, the realities of the paperwork and the headache. And, <laughs> and, and that's honestly like why... I'm very, very content. I'm 100% content being in this gray zone of being on tourist visas. I actually had someone from that was kind of representing or in talks with the Thai government who approached me asking, what would the ideal digital nomad visa be? Like, what do you want to see in it? And I, ha- I had to think about it long and hard. And I, and I said, you know, if you had to ask me this three, four, five years ago, I would have said, yes, we want a dedicated visa. We want to be able to stay here legally and have the option to pay taxes here if we want to and, you know, so on. And now that I've been through kind of all that, I realize the six-month tourist visa is actually exactly what we want. Like, just leave us alone. You know, we're not making money. You know, we're not we're not taking Thai jobs. We're not making money off of the, the Thai economy. We're just spending money. Let us come here on a six-month tourist visa. Let us be able to to do that online, you know, make it really easy or maybe on arrival, you know, you know, even if you raise the price a little bit, just make it easy for us. And we don't have to go back to our home country to get it. And then let us do it back to back. So we can stay year round if we wanted to. And that's it. Like just let us stay in the gray zone. Mm-hmm. And I think that would have been, that would be the easiest and best thing for us. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Well, it was a fun episode. Yeah. For now, mm-hmm. like it was fun thinking about it. And I do recommend, you know, to anyone who has uh, the ability to get a second passport through Heritage to look into it, because that's kind of the easiest way to do it. Is that you know, it's either free or cheap, uh, and it's forever. So if you can do that, go do it. Uh, but if you can't, you really have to have a big, compelling reason. I would say. So let us know in the Boss Lounge if you have a reason, if you're pursuing this, or if you've gotten a second passport or residency, and let let us know your process and how the, all that went. Definitely. And I will keep posting more updates on the Barcelona flat renovation. It's uh, it's quite a process, but it's I think it'll be fun in the end. But I'm posting all that into our Patreon group so you guys get first look at it. And then of course, we'll talk more about it on our upcoming Q1 updates. But I uh, also want to just give a quick and very uh, warm shout out to all of our Patreons out there. We're about four fifths to our mark of getting support from you guys to be able to hire a VA to come on invest like a boss and give Johnny and I a hand in being able to scale content and episodes because uh, it's it's been a lot of work. Um, we're at 137 episodes, but we're getting to a point now that we really need a hand. And um, and that's that's the whole purpose of this Patreon group. Yeah. So big, big thanks to everyone who signed up uh, to be a Patreon these last few months and to our new Patreons, uh, Suhir Peed, Peter Head, Howard Daniels, Egal Rubinstein, Ryan Bernardo, Zach, Ian, Cody Clausen, Tom Keen, Chris Fenke, Nick Ringley, uh, and everyone who stayed on board all these months. Thank you so much for being our patrons. Uh, you guys are the reason why we're able to get these great guests like Nomad Capitalist and continue producing you know, three or four episodes uh, a month like we've been uh, doing in the past. And we have on some, you know, we're going to have on some really, really good guests in the future as well. So thank you guys. And also thank you for everyone who's left reviews on the iTunes store. Uh, a lot of people are finding the show because you guys are reviewing it five stars. And every single new 
five-star review bumps us up again. So big, big thank you. Uh, this week, I want to acknowledge our review of the week. Uh, Wenberger says, better late than never, five stars, real talk on investment for real people. Best part is Johnny and Sam talks in terms that are easily understandable. The variety of topics really provides ideas and motivation to better manage my finances smarter. Since it was easy to find reasons to procrastinate, work, kids, travel, uh, health, kids again. Uh, since all those <laughs> should be reasons for better financial security. Thank you, Vendor Burger, and thank you to everyone who's left these five star reviews. Sam, uh, enjoy turkey for me. Uh, Jabba, enjoy a shawarma kebab for me. Like, likewise, likewise. Enjoy uh, Willy Gama. I'm starting to know that name. I'd never heard of it until you said it, but now it's a place I want to check out. And I will go smash some Turkish kebabs right now. All right. Enjoy, guys. See you all next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.